So um, our final speaker this evening is Raina Wynn. Um, she um, is the author of The Salt Path, which charted her extraordinary and uplifting journey around the Southwest Coastal Path as she battled with homelessness and financial insecurity. Um, the book spent 80 weeks in the Sunday Times bestseller charts and has inspired millions with its tale of the power of nature to heal and resilience and really the human um, spirit to endure. Her new book is called The Wild Silence, and it's about the challenge of rewilding a Cornish farm. And we are very, very excited that she's with us after completing a 1000 mile walk. Um, she just got back yesterday. So um, congratulations on your latest uh, adventures and over to you, Raina. Oh, thanks, Daisy, and uh, lovely to be here, and great to great to chat to everyone. Um, as Daisy said, um, I've just got back from a thousand mile walk. Well, somewhere around about a thousand miles. We um, we started walking, my husband Moth and myself, from uh, Cape Wrath in the northwest corner of Scotland, and just arrived back in Cornwall late yesterday. So uh, I'm very unprepared for this. Um, I really wasn't really sure what, what it entailed until I started listening to the other panellists. So, so I'm going to just tell you a few things about my books. That might be the easiest way to go about this. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe not. You've read, you've read The Salt Path, which was... Um, a book I read, I wrote following uh, another long walk, a walk around the southwest coast path, um, which follows the coastline of the south of, south of England. Um, but it's probably better to go back a little bit further to explain what that book was about. Um, it sort of originated from um, a really awful week in our lives, a week when just about everything fell apart. Um, my husband, Martha, and myself had been together since we were teenagers. And when we were around about 30, we'd bought a property in the hills. And it was, it was like a dream home, a place that we put 20 years of, of time and effort and money into. Um, but sadly, at the same time, we'd had a dispute with a, a friend over a financial issue that led to us being served with an eviction notice from that property. And, and that seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen to us was that we were going to lose that home, that family home where our children had grown up, where we'd we'd grown vegetables and kept sheep and, and repaired every wall and every roof with our own hands. But in that same week, as we were trying to pack 20 years of life into boxes, my husband Moth received a diagnosis for a neurodegenerative illness called corticobasal degeneration, something we'd never heard of and most doctors we spoke to hadn't heard of either. But it was something that had no treatment and no cure. And we were told by the consultant that really the only thing he could suggest was that, um, that moth should be take really not get too tired and uh, be very careful on the stairs. Um, so we, we, we continued to pack boxes and it came to the very last moments in our house when the bailiffs were knocking at the door and, and we were hiding under the stairs because we just, we just weren't ready for that final moment, that final moment to step over the threshold, just knowing we'd never go back. And just then in that moment, I spotted a book in a packing case. It was a book written by a young man, a book I'd written, read years before uh, about a young man who walked the southwest coast path with his dog 
and just burning that that awful moment it just seemed like the most obvious thing to do just to fill a rucksack and go for a walk and uh, so that's what we did because really we didn't have many choices because we had nowhere to go as we stepped over that threshold for that last time we became homeless people without a home was all I thought it would be because at that point I didn't really know or understand anything about homelessness or or what it was or how it was regarded but really it turned out to be something far more than that far more than just just a word it became it became something that, that consumed us it became who we were labeled as but what we'd what we'd uh decided to do was was to walk that path I didn't realise at that point that the southwest coast path is actually 630 miles long. All that it has an ascent that's equivalent to climbing Everest nearly four times. Or what that would actually mean, what to actually walk that path carrying a rucksack on my back that contained everything that we needed to survive, what that would actually mean on a day-to-day -day basis. So we began that walk. With, with no idea of what it would do other than that we would have a map and it would give us a way forwards. And we followed the headlands of the southwest of England, so through Somerset, North Devon, the whole coast of Cornwall, South Devon, and into Paul in Dorset. We were living wild on the headlands because we had virtually no money. So we, we, were, we were just living on the headlands, sleeping in a tent, couldn't afford to go on to campsites because we couldn't even afford that and virtually no money to buy food which became quite a quite an issue after a while because it's very expensive to buy food on the southwest coast path because it's such a such a holiday destination so we did find that we were living mainly on dried packet noodles which uh, which really can can wear a bit thin after a while especially when that's all we've eaten for a week it really came to such a head with the food crisis as we were walking that, uh, that after, uh, after about uh, 200 miles, we, we really did run out of money and we ran out of food. And we woke up one day and all we had left was one wine gum in my pocket, a wine gum that was stuck with hair and dust out of the pocket. And I'll never forget that morning as we cut it in half and had half a hairy wine gum each that we thought, we might not actually even survive that walk, but we did, we, we did. And it changed our lives in, in ways that we couldn't possibly have imagined. And, and we went on to, to, to actually find accommodation after, after that walk ended. We did find accommodation and we moved into, moved into a house, into a property, back under a roof, and uh, we thought that, that we had everything that we needed and that life would, life would actually just fall into place and it would all be easy. But what we didn't realise was that the, the scars of that walk were still with us and that we would carry those always. And that the prejudice and preconceptions that we'd met as homeless people wouldn't leave us. And that the ability to trust people again would be a really hard-won battle and that's 
what book, my new book, The Wild Silence, is all about. It's about that time when we try to re-enter life after that walk and how difficult that actually was. It's so bad that in the first few months of, of moving back under a roof, I found I couldn't settle, I couldn't sleep. It was really, really difficult. And I even put the tent up in the in the bedroom to to try to find some sort of sense of sense of who who I was, where I was. And I think I realised then that I'd never lived in a village before. I'd never lived amongst people before. And that what had drawn us to walk that path had been a lifetime connection to nature and the natural world. And it was it was that that was missing from our lives. That was what was missing from my life. And, why I was finding it so hard to go forwards again. And it was then during that time that I wrote The Salt Path because Moth's, Moth's memory was starting to fade and he was starting to forget things that had been so important to us during that walk. And so I wrote The Salt Path for him so that he would, he would read it and he would remember something of, of what that path had been to us. But at the same time, after, after The Salt Path was published, and strangely and unexpectedly to me, for sure, um, it was read by many, many thousands of people. Um, somebody contacted me who'd read the book, um, contacted me via Twitter to say um, that he'd read the book and felt that I was somebody who could help them. How could I possibly help anybody? But it turned out that he had a, he had a, a uh, really very old cider farm that had been neglected and sadly agriculturally overused. And he'd read that book and realised how connected to the natural world Moth and I had always been and felt that we were the ones to help him fulfil a dream of returning the wildlife to the farm and putting the, the, the wildlife back into the hedgerows and, and bringing back the farm to the point where it should have been. Well, it should have been like a dream come true, but after what we'd gone through um, during the salt path, uh, it felt impossible, impossible decision to make to actually take up his offer. Because how could we possibly trust anybody again after not only losing our home because we trusted a friend, but then all those reactions that we'd had from people towards us being homeless people and how difficult that was to overcome. But eventually the, the, the draw of time spent in the natural world and, and being able to be just out in the environment all the time became too much and we took up his offer and came to the farm. And now, now it's a few years on, a few years on from that point and and those fields where, where there was hardly any wildflowers or, or hardly any wildlife have started to change. It's not really what we've done at the farm, it's what we haven't done. We've, we've, what we have done is to take away all that agricultural detritus. What we haven't done is to put on lots of, lots of uh, chemical inputs or, or heavily overgraze the land. And really it's allowed the land to to fall back into its natural rhythm. And in doing so, the hedgerows have filled with, with fruit and the, the wildlife has come back. 
there were birds here, there were insects here that certainly weren't here when we first came. And it's strange to reflect on that and then in respect of moth's health and the way it changed while we were walking that coast path. How at the beginning he, he could barely, barely put his coat on without help. But after about 200 miles of living on those headlands and walking every day, he actually had regained, regained his strength and, uh, and mobility and clarity of thought that we'd been told was absolutely impossible because we'd been told that that illness was a, a one-way street and for the majority of people diagnosed with it that's what it is but it wasn't for him because that path changed and there's something strange really when you reflect on the comparison between that that change in his health and the way the health of this farm has changed because we've allowed the farm to return to its natural state and in doing so its health has revived almost, almost as if it was a tap just being waited, waiting to be switched on. And I think there's something to be learned there, that interactivity between man and nature, nature and man. We put moth into his natural state there on those headlands, walking every day as we did, and his health returned. And then here at the farm, its health has returned. So when, uh, when Moth's health really did start to deteriorate quite badly, as it had done over the last, over the last winter, um, we decided we really had to go for another walk. And so we set off on our epic, epic adventure from the northwest of Scotland. And it has turned out to be the most life-changing event, I think, as, as much so as the Salt Path. We, we've been through every weather and met so many different and different people living different lives. And now at the end of that, from moth's health being at its worst, it's now better than it has been for years, better than it was at the end of the salt path. And so I think we've all really to take from that, to take from that as any sort of feeling of, of, of what I've learned from that. I think it's that we are, we're not part of this natural world as observers of it. We're not here watching, watching it and recording what happens. We are part of the natural world. We are the natural world. And whatever happens to it, happens to us too. And if we don't find a way to connect ourselves to that natural world and realize the relevance of, of saving it, then we're not actually realizing that it's not just that that we're saving, we're saving ourselves too, because we are the natural world. And I think, I think that's, that's the biggest lesson that we all have to learn right now is we're not observers, this, this climate crisis, this ecological, biological crisis that we're living through, it's happening to us. It's not just happening to the birds in the hedgerows, it's all of us. So, so here we are, let's try and go on. Thanks, Daisy.
Raina, thank you so, so much for being with us. Um, that was such an extraordinary and beautiful story and such a wonderful way to end this evening. Thank you um, very, very much. And I'm just so delighted to hear about Moth and to hear that your latest walk has been a success and we can't wait to read about it perhaps in a forthcoming book. But for now, I want to um, make sure that everyone knows that The Wild Silence is out. And, um, and just to say a huge thank you to our incredible lineup of writers, um, incredible female storytellers, um, and really just outstanding talks about friendship, about the state of the world today, about the importance of taking a new start and looking afresh at some of our behaviors and, um, and taking new paths in life. It has been a fantastic evening and um, we are really, really honored and delighted to have had you all with us. So the books are out now. Um, New and Bookshop will be really pleased to help if, um, if you want to order from them. Um, but for now, I want to just say a huge thank you to Raina, to Hannah, Arja, Lucy and Zakia. And good night from all of us. Good night. <laughs>